Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right. Hey, good morning. How are you guys doing? I'm so glad you're here. You glad to be here? Awesome. Hey, my name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us today on this summer joyride. How many of you guys enjoying summer? It's beautiful. The weather's been awesome. The rain keeps kind of cutting and back and back and forth. We went to visit some family in Texas. It's like 108 degrees there, guys. It is nuts. The only reason that we were there is sacrificial love. That's it, right? There's nothing in Texas other than family worth loving. So um, that might not be completely true, but it was, it was hot. Um, what was really awesome is like our last day there, we were getting ready to leave, went back to my parents' house, walked in the door. We were at a lake house prior to that, walked in the door, and it's a beautiful 93 degrees inside the house. And while we were gone, their AC went out. <laughs> so our last day in Texas was spent inside of a house holding all of the heat that outside was offering. It was beautiful. It was amazing if it was, you know, four degrees outside. But we sweat, got heat exhaustion, all that stuff. It was wonderful. It was amazing. Great way to end our time. Hey, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, we're so glad to have you. Our, our desire is simply to meet you where you are, help you take some next steps. Our mission here at City Church is to help people find their way to God from where they are. And we kind of practice that out in a couple of different ways, but really it's through our weekend gatherings and groups that we flesh that out real time by practicing the way of Jesus together here in Boulder. And so the invitation is for you, no matter where you're walking in, we hope this place feels like family for you. Um, and also we hope we can get you plugged into community. Now, we're over the, series, uh, over the summer, we're walking through the series through the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians. Uh, you might not know this, but you can think of the Bible as a library of writings, not just a book. A lot of people, especially if they're new to scriptures, they'll like pick it up and, it, and they just start you know, at the beginning and Genesis 1 or page 1 or wherever, and then they just start left to right, start reading it, which is nothing wrong with that, but sometimes you kind of get lost in the weeds. Um, it's better to think of the Bible as a library of writings, as in you can walk in and pull any of those books off the shelf. And that's what we're doing over the summer is we have pulled the letter of Philippians off the shelf. We're walking through it together so you can go back and catch all of the messages through the summer on our podcast, our YouTube channel. We've had some amazing speakers throughout the summer already. Can you put your hands together for all of them? Man, it's been amazing. If you were here two weeks ago, uh, we, 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 we say it often, but when you give here financially at City Church, a lot of what we do is it goes in and through our church to Boulder the West in the world. And so we're grateful for the generosity of this church. And a couple of the, those demonstrations is we have other churches that we're helping plant in different areas. One of them is in Denver. That's Rock City Church with Bryson and his family. He was here two weeks ago and he crushed it. What'd you guys think? It was good, wasn't it? Man, I was watching online. It was amazing. That was a half-hearted clap. It was way better than that, wasn't it? Yeah. Some of you are like, I wasn't here. You can just pretend, okay? It was awesome. So Bryson crushed it, did a great job. They're getting ready to plant a life-giving church in Denver, launching in the uh, uh, fall and rather winter, I suppose, of this coming year. And so we've been investing in them, helping them get off the ground. Really excited for them. And then last week, our good friend Lisa was in town, and holy moly, right? Who was here? Who was in the room? Was it amazing or what? How many of you were like... 
everything in my life is just not as big of a deal as I thought it was. <laughs> her story is unbelievable to say it. Simply, if you missed it, man, I highly recommend you go back and listen to her story. It was encouraging, it was challenging, and it, it was breathing, I think, a lot of life into this community. And so I'm grateful for the summer opportunity. Next week, you get to hear uh, from one of our very own, Will Johnson. He's actually teaching in Big City Kids today. Give him a hand, Will Johnson. He's going to be uh, sharing a message next week. You don't want to miss it. I love Will. He's an incredible, incredible guy here at City Church and a good friend. So uh, what I want to do before we get into today's uh, passage in Philippians, also a couple of quick things. We have these little uh, Philippians journals that are available to you in the lobby. They're sitting on that table right by the entrance. And so if you don't already have one of those journals, we'd love for you to grab one of those. Those are where the scriptures are on one side and there's a blank page on the other. So you can kind of take notes and track and write down and doodle or whatever you do to kind of stay in, engaged with uh, our time together. And so I want to just recommend that when we show up, we show up in expectation that God has something for us, that he wants to speak to us, that he wants to move our hearts and minds in a direction. And we want to capture those things. And if you're like me, if I don't write things down, down, I, I forget them almost instantly. And so I really want to capture what God has for me. And so anytime I'm not speaking, you're going to find me right here with a journal open, taking notes, expecting for God to speak to me. So I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Those journals are available to you in the lobby, or if you already picked them up, awesome. There's also journals in the seat backs in front of you, just kind of blank journals and Bibles. Those are all gifts to you as well. So however we can serve you in your spiritual formation, man, that's what we want to do. What I want to do before we get started is I want to take some time and just give some shout outs and honor where it is due. We already did it for Bryce and Lisa, but also, if you don't know this already, uh, Fitz mentioned it, uh, we have our growth track part one coming up right after the service today, 30 minutes. If you haven't signed up and you're interested, 30 minutes of your time, we even have free childcare, and we would love to serve you in that space, uh, that space just to let you kind of look a little bit under the hood of City Church and know how to get plugged in here. But one of those things that we do in, in that growth track is we celebrate our staff team. So we have six staff members here at City Church, and if you don't know them all, that's okay, but they do a ton of behind-the-scenes work to keep things going here at City Church and empowering our volunteers. So we can put our hands together for all of our staff team that serves here at City Church. They're amazing. Michelle and Daniel and Seth and Maddie and Danielle, they are amazing. And also, how many of you guys enjoyed a cup of coffee this morning? Anybody got some coffee in their hands? Cold brew, hot coffee. We can put our hands together for our cafe team who serves you well with some excellent coffee this morning. How many of you guys enjoyed the songs and the music and the production, the lights? You guys enjoyed the environment this morning as we begin to worship? Yeah, let's put our hands together for our production team and our band. How many of you guys, when you walked in, you noticed how clean the carpets were? Or how many not dead bugs there were on the floor? You might not have noticed. That's a good thing. Can we put our, put it, put our hands together for all of the people that show up early to just clean the building and prep everything? How many of you guys were like, not, not fakely greeted, but like genuinely greeted by someone outside and inside when you showed up today? Can we put our hands together? Right. So we have this welcome team that does an excellent job of standing out in the sun and, and then working on their tan and greeting people at the same time. It's amazing. How many of you guys have kids that you are not having to keep in check right now? Let's go. Let's put our hands together for our city kids team. It's amazing. And the rest of you, if you don't have kids, you just don't know how blessed you are that they're not in the room right now, right? Like, so you're welcome that we didn't bring our distractions to serve you today. Um, how many of you are so grateful for our safety team in the room? Put our hands together for our safety team. It's, it's one of the things operating in the background that you wouldn't know, but we are really grateful for the volunteers that take seriously the safety and protection of our gatherings and our kids as we come together. I know that might feel a little forced because I'm just making you clap your hands, but have you ever been in a place where you have felt over-honored? 
you're like, oh, no, no, it's just too much. Please stop. Like, genuinely, have you ever been in a moment where you're like, all right, guys, cut it out. Like, it's getting a little much. Have you ever been over-honored? And I'm not talking about, like, the silly or the ridiculous and it's kind of a joke honor. I'm talking about, like, that genuine space where someone goes out of your way, out of their way, and they encourage you or they compliment or they lift you up or they just acknowledge and they honor you. Have you ever been like, man, I am so sick of you doing that? Like, you've ever had just a fight in your marriage or, or, like, growing up, your mom just like, man, would you stop honoring me? I am just so sick of that, right? Never. <laughs> Never in, in one point in my life can I think of being over-honored. It's too much encouragement. I just can't handle it anymore. You're just over the top. Have you ever missed a moment to honor someone? You ever, you ever like, like, been in a moment, you look back, and you missed it. You're like, oh, man, I should have said something. You ever been there? I should have done something. I should have done it better. And there's this weird thing inside of us that easily overlooks moments to honor others, but then there's never been a moment when you're like, wow, I am so sick of this. In fact, a lot of people, on top of like the loneliness pandemic that we have in our nation at this moment, a lot of it is also connected to when community comes around, it's the honor that we experience. In fact, some of the reasons that you and I might be allergic to community, maybe you, know, you kind of stand on the fence or you sit at the back of the room, that's no hate on anybody sitting in the back of the room. This room's small, so it's fine. Um, but you know, like when, you, when it comes to community, you kind of like, you know, you, you, you're just slow to get in is because maybe you grew up in dysfunctional community where everything but honor was given. And so then every time you think about relationships, all you can think about is what is taken away, not what is given. And so I don't know where you find yourself today, but what we see consistently, what we're going to see today in the, in the scriptures that we're looking at, Paul is writing a letter to a new church in the city of Philippi, much like City Church is a new church in the city of Boulder, and he's writing this letter. He helps start it, and he's encouraging them. He's, he's expressing gratitude for their support of him while he is in prison. And in that space, he takes time to honor others. And so one of the things I want to ask you this morning, this is just a contemplative moment for you. When you walked in, I don't know where you're walking in, but what, what, what are the things that are on your mind this morning? Or maybe, maybe the scope of the week is a better space for you because you just kind of just arrived. But think of the last seven days. Like, what are the interests of your mind? What are the concerns that are filling your mind? Like, what's got your attention right now? What's taking the energy from your life right now? And it can be a good thing, right? So what are the good things? What are the things that are going right that just have all of your attention? What are the things that are going wrong that are taking all of your attention? How, how are your relationships your singleness, your marriage with your children, coworkers and your boss, family members. How's the temperature of your home? Whether it's with your roommates or the family dynamic, how's, how's the internal disposition of your heart and mind? Do you feel settled? Do you feel centered? Do you feel present? Are you scattered? How are, one of the questions I hate to ask, but I'll ask it for you because I love you so much. How are other people experiencing you right now? And I've been, I've been sitting in that this week because quite frankly, I feel a bit scattered. I feel, I, I told our staff this week that I'm, I'm, I've been traveling a lot between work and a little bit of vacation and, and between those two things, I feel like Drake is over here and my body's over here. And then as a result, I feel like I'm trying to, trying to be present, but I don't feel very present to myself or anyone else. And I, 
I'm having a really hard time being centered, and so I've been asking the question, what's take, what's, what, what are the concerns of my mind and my heart? Where's the energy going? We're going to look at a passage in a minute where Paul encourages this church, this early church, and us as, as uh, in like, is he says, hey, con- consider other people as more important than yourself. That's the, the disposition of honor. And, and I want you to think about it with me for a second. The, the call is to consider others as more important than yourself. You say, why would we do that? The theme of this book has been if you and I want an access point, when we begin to follow Jesus, if we want an access point, not only into the, the good life that he calls us to, but, but a life full of joy, then what we're gonna see, not only in the example in the life of Jesus, but the calling from Paul, is joy is found in an others-centered life. A, a, a place of serving others, of thinking of others first. Not, not the, the people-pleasing place, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like when you're, you're so obsessed with what other people think about you, that you're actually serving yourself when we're, we're people-pleasing, because it's about doing something for them so they think better about me. But we have a, when we have a genuine disposition to serving others, Jesus would say it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so we have an access point into joy when we choose to honor. But, but there's this word that he uses, this, this verb, consider, as in be intentional. As in honor, I don't, I don't know that it always flows naturally out of us. Do you feel that? I found over and over again that more honor can be given, and I have found consistently that it's also not. Both, both from my own experience, right? There's been my, like moments when I'm like, man, like a word of encouragement would go a long way. I might not say that out loud. I might not even be able to put my finger on it. But the reality is when someone goes out of their way and does give a word of encouragement or chooses to honor, it lifts my spirits in a way I didn't even know I needed. And on the, on the other side of it, I watch people who kind of are dragging their feet through life and they're discouraged and they're frustrated and they're distracted by all the things going around them and there's no one taking the time to spill honor over them. Now, the reason we're talking about this is because joy can only exist in environments of honor. I'm going to say it again because this is really important. When you, when you think about the community that we're building here at City Church, when you think about your city groups, when you think about your home, even when you think about your workplaces, joy can only exist in environments of honor. Anywhere there's dishonor, it sucks the joy out of the room, does it not? Absolutely it does. Joy can only exist in environments of honor. And if you and I choose to honor others, it not only brings joy to us, but it actually brings joy to them. Isn't that interesting? And so over and over again, we see this this letter littered with the words of joy and rejoicing, but it's not separate from intentional actions that we choose. People want to be in environments where they are honored, correct? Right? Listen, our volunteers here, they're amazing, are they not? And so I'm, I'm, yes, yes, you can put your hands together, genuinely, right? It's, it's not a forced space. We are so grateful that we get to come together, that this is a place where you can experience family, and we get to use our gifts and serve one another, and it's a joy to serve you, and it's an also a joy to be honored. And it's not, I don't, I don't serve you in order to be honored, right? But the reciprocal relationship of love is that there's honor given. Now, the opposite, the reason I'm giving you this is because in our culture today, there's a, there's a book by John Tyson called Beautiful Resistance. If, you, if you're looking for a book to pick up, I give you one every other week, so I'm sure you, you've got plenty of time on your hands. But Beautiful Resistance is a really helpful cultural context book talking about the things that we see in our culture and the ways of Jesus. And one of the things he talks about is contempt versus honor. 
We live in a culture of contempt. And all you have to do to understand that is open up your social media feeds and watch all the trolls, which is really just, you know, everybody at this point, right? People who are jumping on, and they just love to spill all of the craziness. We live in a culture of contempt. And contempt, listen, that word, it's not in my vernacular normally, right? So you might not use it this way, but for me, when we're thinking about honor versus contempt, contempt is where I, in my, in my internal disposition, I think someone is beneath consideration. I just think you're less valuable than me. I'm not saying you're the scum of the earth or anything. I'm just better than you. (laughs) Contempt is when I look at you and your life and your circumstances, and I just consider all of you as a person as beneath consideration. You're You're not even valuable enough for my consideration and my time. And so the way that this looks, the way that real-time contempt shows up in our families, in our workplaces, in our relationships, maybe it's the way that you were talked to by your parents, is it shows up in sarcasm and harmful humor, and, and, and there's these conversations of constantly putting down or not acknowledging the honor that's inside of you. We have incredible creativity when it comes to devaluing others in our culture, do we not? And then we're really good at, at kind of justifying and thinking that that behavior is okay. Contempt is I I remove the value from you to where I don't even feel bad about how I'm treating you. And that's a very common value in the culture around us. It's not the one that you want, but it's the one that we're constantly saturated in. Uh, I heard it said this week that all atrocities throughout human history, every single atrocity, the unthinkable in human history, they all began by lowering the value of others. Everything about the Holocaust was born out of contempt for the Jews. Before there were concentration camps, there was a media pushing an agenda, dehumanizing the people who were Jewish. Contempt is a poison. It poisons our homes, it poisons our relationships, it poisons our workplaces, it'll poison the church if we let it. That's not who you are. It's not who you want to be. And so what I want to call us to today is an acknowledgement of the culture of contempt around us and a call to the need for more honor. You're already pretty good at this. Probably you don't have a problem honoring someone, but I think we could pour a thousand more percent into it and it still might not be enough. And so the call today is to build a culture of honor, to be a church where we honor one another, to be in community where we honor one another, to build homes where children honor their parents and parents honor their children. We're honored in our singleness. We're honored in our jobs, wherever you find yourself. Now, the word glory, when you look at the scriptures and you see any time like we're talking about God's glory, glory speaks to a weightiness or an intrinsic value. And so what honor is doing is it's calling out the glory. It's acknowledging the glory seen in something. So anytime we talk about like giving glory to God, we're not really giving it to him. He's already got it. We're actually honoring the glory that's already in God, right? So, so think about it this way. If I don't honor God, he's still got his glory, right? It, it's just not called out. It's just not acknowledged. But, but he didn't reduce in glory simply because I didn't acknowledge it. The same is true for you and I. When I don't call out the honor in Holly, or I'm sorry, the glory in Holly, when I don't say something and honor her and call that glory out, she still carries the glory of God because she's an image bearer. She's made in the image of God. So uh, I'll give you an example. Um, Thursday night, we were supposed to be able to see uh, the northern lights. Did anybody catch that? Did anybody get a, get a glimpse at that? So 
kind of like the southern hemisphere, including Colorado, we were supposed to be able to see from like 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. a glimpse of the northern lights, which is like so rare in places like central to where we are. And so what was really cool is like, hey, you got to get away from like light pollution and all of that. So at 10 p.m., we take our kids, we get them in the car, and we drive over to like, like the Wonderland Lake area, which is like the closest place that has minimal light pollution in Boulder without going up into the mountains. And it's already 10 p.m., so we're already making bad choices with our children. But, but it's worth it because I read this book called The Power of Moments, and I'm all about that, okay? And so whatever they remember in life, hopefully, you know, when they're 20 and they look back, they have all these moments that really cover up all the just, you know, moments where I sucked as a dad. You know, that's the goal. So, so uh, um, we have this moment. Danielle and I were like, hey, let's, let's do it. Sounds awesome. Let's see the northern lights. It'd be amazing. So we drive over to like uh, uh, the Lee Hill area and we pull into the parking lot and then the trail that we're going to go on to kind of this, this uh, over by Wonderland Hill, um, it's like pitch black out there. And then I've got my headlamp on and we're ready to go and Danielle's like, we are not walking in the wilderness in the dark to go find a spot and lay down in the grass when we have bears and mountain lions. And I'm like, you know, that's actually a good point. I didn't really think about that. I didn't bring any self-defense. I'm faster than Asher, so I can probably, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. And so, anyway, so we're like, okay, maybe not. So then we end up just taking our blankets, laying down in like the little parking lot area that we were in. It was awesome. I mean, there's like one guy sleeping in his van and you know, whatever. We're just there, like it's cool. And so we lay down in the parking lot and we're looking up at the stars. And there's like a little bit of light pollution still, but, but it's better than, you know, my, right behind my house. So, so we're there, and we're looking for the northern lights. And, and, they're, and, and they're like, hey, if there's any light pollution at all, you're probably not going to see it. And so naturally, we didn't see the northern lights, but we're like checking out the stars, and it's awesome, right? So the kids were all laying there and checking out the stars, and then every, we'll see a plane and a satellite and, you know, all those things. Hey, check it out. And so, so we're looking at all the stars, and some are bigger and smaller and twinkling, and you know, it's really cool. And there's just a moment of, like, everyone stops talking. I mean, we're talking, like, three seconds, okay? That's about all you get from my kids. But there's a moment when everyone stops talking, and we're just looking. And while we didn't get to see the northern lights, we got to enjoy the vastness of God's creation, right? I mean, I mean, I mean we, we can't even see remotely what's out there. But man, look how beautiful it is. What did, uh, Grayson called it the, not the Big Dipper. What did he call it, babe? The tea bucket. <laughs> he says, I see the tea bucket. <laughs> We're like, what? the what? So heads up. Next time you look, and look for the tea bucket, okay? So he sees the tea bucket. And it's just a moment of like being enamored. Listen, listen being enamored with the glory of God's creation, the glory of this vast universe filled with stars that are bigger than our star, that life on earth exists and we take a moment to stop and breathe and just look out and say, wow, look what's out there. And there's value, there's glory in that. You guys following me? Listen, that glory was there before I laid down and acknowledged it, and that glory stayed there after I left and got distracted again. Honor is taking a moment to acknowledge, to call out, to recognize the glory in someone around you. When we sing songs, we are taking a moment to lift our, high, our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the glory of God that already exists, whether we were thinking about it or not. The glory of the person next to you is not diminished 
when honor is not given. But we miss out on an opportunity to lift someone up and breathe joy into them and bring honor to God when we call out the glory in others. That's the call today. So, as we get into the text, I'm just trying to frame for you, honestly, I, I think a very simple concept, is it not? Like, like to, to just simply be more intentional this week about honoring the people around me, that's actually not a, a massive call except for how distracted I am. It's harder than I think it is. So let's go to Philippians chapter two. I'm gonna give you the context of this chapter. We looked at this earlier in the month, but, but it sets up what we're about to read. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. There's honor. They're not deserving of it. They don't perform for it. This is not, you know, your husband finally folded the towels and put them in the right way in the bathroom and you honor him for that. Like, well done, it's been five years and you did it right. Right, your kids put up the Legos like for the first time, the, like when you first asked them and you finally, like yes, you can honor them for that, but this is a moment of in humility counting others as more significant than yourself. Because this is what Jesus did for you and I. Not because it, it's true, it, not, not because it has to be true in the moment. It's really important. Jesus did this for you and I when it definitely was not true of us. And you and I can do the same for others. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, there it is, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And there's lots of plurality language here, so he's talking in the context of community. This is for you individually, and it'll affect every area of your life, but it's meant to be practiced and formed in us through the community, the family of God. Now, let's pick up in verse 19, where Paul continues, and he's gonna end this chapter. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too might be cheered by news of you. Timothy is one of Paul's co-workers. Again, Paul's in prison for his faith in Jesus. The church of Philippi has been taking care of him. It's not like when you go to prison in the U.S. and your meals are taken care of. This is, you're in, in basically a Roman sewer and if someone doesn't take care of you, your needs don't get met. And so they send help from Philippi to Paul in prison for being uh, in prison for faith in Jesus and proclaiming Jesus. And so he's got a couple of people with him. Timothy is one of them. Another guy in the second we're going to meet, Epaphroditus. These are his fellow co-workers that are helping him in this time of need. And he says, hey, I'm going to send Timothy to you so that I might be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely be, uh, be genuinely concerned for your welfare. But my first question that I, I, I thought of when I, when I read this is, am I that kind of person? He says, I have no one else like Timothy. Which is interesting, because there's like a lot of people that were in Paul's circle. I've got no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares for you. For they all seek their own interests not those of Jesus Christ. That's a strong statement, isn't it? They all, we don't know who they is, we don't know who all of these people are, but in theory, they're, they're part of the church, they're following Jesus. He says, but they all are seeking their own interest, not those of Jesus, but you know Timothy's proven worth. He's got a track record of caring for others. How as a son with a father, there's that family language, he has served with me in the gospel. He goes on. And he says, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it'll go with me. Paul doesn't know if he's going to get out or if he loses his life in this moment. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And he goes on, and he's kind of closing out this chapter. He says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. Listen to the, the 
honor language he's about to use. This is interesting. My brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger, Epaphroditus was the one that was sent from Philippi with a bag of money to take care of Paul's needs, okay? And we're talking about like a couple hundred mile journey, so this is no small feat. So your messenger and, and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Your mom ever hear that you're ill and she freak out, right? Like, I love my mom, uh, um, but she was like the really caring mom, right? And so when my kids get sick, I just don't tell her. Now, she doesn't really care about me anymore, but she cares about my kids a lot. So like, now if my kids get sick, we don't tell her unless they're in the hospital, right? Because she's like, she's like sending care packages, and it's, it's actually really cool. But uh, um, I have a great mom, but right, it, it's like, he's like, oh, he was worried because, because you knew that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. This is interesting. This is not like a cold. Near to death, the dude, the dude almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul's like, oh, you just got here and you died. That's so sad, right? This is a moment. He's like, this guy almost died getting to me, sending the gift. Now, listen, I want you to imagine you're Epaphroditus. You leave Philippi. You got a bag of money. On the way there, you get deathly ill, and your options are to keep going, to, to, to complete the task in front of you, or you got a bag of money, <laughs> And you're going to find an Airbnb and some people to take care of you and figure out how to pay them back, right? And apparently, Epaphroditus, he keeps going, delivers this gift to take care of Paul, and in the process, recovers. So he goes on, verse 28. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you might rejoice. Over and over again, we see that theme of joy. At seeing him again, that I might be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Honor them, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So I know that's a lot, but the reason I gave it to you all up front is so I can summarize what we're talking about here. On the front end, his big kind of point in the process of honoring Timothy and Epaphroditus, which we talked about just now, is so important. But on the front end, he says something that stood out from Timothy is that Timothy genuinely cares, and he seems to have the concerns and the interest of Jesus for you, whereas everyone else is seeking their own interest. Do you guys catch that? And in the very beginning of this letter, right, the first couple of verses that we read, he says, in humility, seek the interest of others, not your own. So we're back there again. Now, here's the question I have for you. What are the interests of Jesus? Right? He calls them out. Everyone else is seeking their own interest. Everyone else is kind of focused on their energy, their time, their attention is on their own things. But, Paul, uh, but Timothy and Epaphroditus, they are men deserving of honor because they are seeking the interest of Jesus. And my natural question is, well, what is that? What is the interest of Jesus? And listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, or if you've been around and you're like, what in the world does this have to do with me? Or how does this have any bearing? Like, cool, if Jesus has concerns, but he's Jesus, and he can be about his concerns, but what about me? Don't miss how this connects to your joy. So let me show you a snapshot of Jesus' interest. You, this is, you can go pick up John or Matthew, Mark, Luke, any, any of the Gospels and capture Jesus' interest pretty easily. But let me show you in Luke 6, a snapshot of the interest of Jesus. We see this throughout his life and his teachings. And these days, Jesus would go out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. We see this as the normal rhythm and routine of Jesus, pulling away and getting alone with God. 
over and over again. And when day came, he called his disciples, those are his, his followers, his apprentices, and he chose from them 12 whom he named apostles, who's gonna name leaders in the church. And then after he's done the picking and choosing, he comes down with them, stands on a level place, there's a great crowd of his disciples, and then in addition, there's a great multitude of people. And we get that, distinguish, that, that distinguishing comment from Luke because these are people who are not in the family of God yet. There are multitudes of people around Jesus. They've heard about him. They're sick. They're outcasts. You name it. All over the place, there are throngs of people. And Jesus makes sure to go from time with God to time in the family of God to time engaging the world around him so that people might be introduced to the family of God. Over and over again, we see a theme in the life of Jesus. And so when Timothy has the interest of Jesus, if you and I are to carry the interest of Jesus and honor others, then it's got a lane that it stays in. So let me show you very simply. Number one, intimacy with God as Father is what we see in the life of Jesus. You say, why would he do that? So Jesus is God. Paul already told us that he's emptied himself of his divine attributes, been born in, in, in the likeness of you and I, completely human, completely God, and yet he is fully dependent on the presence of God in his life. And in those moments, we see him constantly getting alone. What's he doing? Maybe complaining a little bit. God, <laughs> these people <laughs> are rough. Or, God, what's your agenda today? I find it interesting that before Jesus takes all of his disciples and calls 12, he spent all night in prayer. What do you think he was doing? Talking to God about his agenda for the next day. God, who are you gonna call to be apostles? Who, who do you want to, to be the leaders of the church? You know what, Jesus picks 12 dudes. We didn't look at them because we don't have time. But he, he picks 12 dudes that I would not pick and that you would not pick. And so Jesus is constantly recentering his life on God's agenda. He even teaches us to pray. When, when the disciples ask him, how do we pray like you pray? He says, yeah, it's just like this. Talk to God like a father. Hallowed be your name. You're holy, you're good, your glory's there, and your goodness is in my life. Your will be done, not mine. God, what's your agenda for my day? When's the last time you asked that question? What's your agenda today? I mean, genuinely, before you go to work, God, what's your agenda when I'm at work today? What's your agenda as I go to city group? What's your agenda with my children today? What's your agenda for the, for the afternoon today? It's not as easy as it looks, right? But Jesus is convinced that God's agenda is going to be the best for him and others. And every time we see someone outside of God's agenda, it only ends up in harm. Jesus said it this way, Peter, at one point, uh, Jesus shares God's agenda with Peter, one of his closest guys, one of the 12 that he just called, right? He shares his agenda. He says, hey, listen, here's what's gonna happen. I'm going to give my life for the sins of humanity. I'm gonna die, be buried, and rise again. And Peter's like, that sounds like a terrible idea. That's the worst plan ever. Like, I don't know, that Jesus is supposed to be the king. He's supposed to be taking over the Roman government. And then Jesus is like, here's the plan. I'm gonna die so that people can live. And Peter's like, what is wrong with you? Like, and, and, and then here's what's interesting. Peter rebukes Jesus. That is not gonna happen as long as I'm your PR manager. And then Jesus rebukes Peter. We don't always see Jesus get feisty, but this is a moment where he says, get behind me, Satan. 
Dang, being called the devil by Jesus is a pretty hard blow to your ego, right? You're like, and, and, and the other guys are probably there too. They're probably whispering a little bit, but I bet they heard that. They're like, ooh. I don't know if there's any nicknames going on. That's, I guess that'd be contempt, so they shouldn't do that, right? But anyway, there, there's moments where are like, dang, that just happened. And then here's what Jesus says. You can look it up for yourself. Jesus says, you are concerned with, with merely human concerns, not the things of God. You don't have the concerns of God on your mind. You have the concerns of the world around you. And here's what we know about Peter is it's not like, oh, no, Jesus, my friend, I don't want you to die. Maybe a little bit of that. But what Peter's really, really focusing on is the PR. Jesus, we got a movement going here. Have you seen how many followers we have? I mean, we're about to get paid for the ads that we're rolling out. I mean, this is going really well. And also, when you get to sit on your throne, I get the chair next to you. This is a sweet deal. And so Jesus dying messes up Peter's plans. Peter's plans wouldn't have saved humanity. Nothing about Jesus' plans sounded like the right thing in the moment. Jesus is constantly going back to God as Father to say, what's your agenda? Listen, What are the concerns of your life right now? What are the interests in your life? What is taking your time and your energy? Not only will it keep you from honoring others, but it'll also keep you distracted with the world around you. Whether they're good things or bad things, whether you're climbing the ladder and you finally have those 2.5 kids and a picket fence, or, or, or you just got a new puppy, I got one of those, and they're distracting. And, and you know, you have all these different things, if it's going good or it's not, whatever it is, and you ask, God, what's your agenda for my life? One of the prayers that Danielle and I are consistently trying to pray over our children is God, help Grayson to understand your will for his life. Why you made him, why he's here. They don't even know what that means. (laughs) Whose will? That's what what Grayson would ask, right? But sometimes it's really cool. Watch them stick. One time, uh, Danielle told me recently that she went to go pray and and she asked if Grayson wanted to pray and he prayed that prayer over himself. I don't even think he knows what it means. God, help them to understand why you put them here. What's your agenda for Grayson and Asher's life? What's your agenda in my marriage right now? What's your agenda? And it's not, listen, it's, it's external, but it's also internal. What's your agenda with my attitude and my anger and my formation and my habits and my struggles and my disciplines? What's your agenda? It doesn't stop there because he goes on to formation within the family of God. He gets with his disciples. He gets with his closest guys And this is a massive part we see throughout Jesus as a priority is is community, that we are formed through community. And so I don't want you to miss it. The concerns of Jesus, the interest of Jesus are time with God and time with his family because it's in family that we flesh out the capacity to love one another, to be formed, to become people who are full of love and joy and patience and kindness. We are formed through practice in community, not in isolation. And so he highlights community which is why we do city groups here. Weekend gatherings are great, shoulder to shoulder, they're awesome. We love to gather and catch a vision for the good life, but life in community is how we're formed. And listen, our city groups have a structure where it's not just like, hey, good to see you hanging out. We're all about that. We want to live life together, but they are structured for the purpose of formation. The word, that if, you, if you see like the word blessed or highly favored, normally in the Greek, that word can be translated happy or, or joyful. And so over and over again, Jesus is connecting our formation to joy. There's somebody, Jesus is in a crowd, and someone shouts, blessed is the womb that carried you. Your mom's awesome, Jesus. She's so lucky. And then Jesus shouts back, I don't even know if, if he knew you know, who said it, right? And he's like, blessed are those who listen to my voice and do what I say. 
joyful, favored, happy are the people who listen to me and actually do it. So our groups are, are, are intentionally formed to help us put into practice the life of Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. Last thing is an invitation into the family of God. And I don't know that you could argue, you know, that Jesus gives a third of his attention to each of these. I think these are holistic pieces, and, and I'm sure you could add more to this list, but these are, I think, consistently what we see in the life of Jesus. Jesus says that the things that heaven is celebrating over are when one person far from God turns from their life and gives their life to Jesus. Heaven is rejoicing and celebrating every, every time someone steps into the family of God. And so Jesus takes his crowds, his disciples, he comes off the mountain and with them engages the people far from God, both in serving them practically and in sharing the good news, the access point of trusting in Jesus so they can have life. These are the concerns of Jesus, time with God, time in his family, and time helping other people come into the family of God. Or be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. Are you tired of that yet? We say it every week, and here it is again. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what he did. These are the priorities and concerns of Christ. This is what Timothy is doing well. Intimacy with God. He understands God's agenda. Investment in God's family and formation. Being formed in the person of Jesus. And then a massive commitment to helping people far from God meet him by going to them, not waiting for them to come to him. So the question that I naturally asked in light of all of this is, what about me? What about my interests? What about my time, my energy, my resources, all of the stuff that I'm doing? What, where are my interests? In shorthand, everything we just talked about is what Jesus describes as the kingdom of God. And he says, we should pray that the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. And the kingdom true in your life is a relationship with God that is full and unobstructed by faith in Jesus. It's a relationship with God's family where you are deeply formed into the person that Jesus has created you to be. And it is where you and I are filled with God's love for the world of those who are not in his family yet. And we are committed with eyes wide open to the opportunities of sharing the good news of Jesus and serving others for access points into that same reality. Jesus invites us into his kingdom and to build his kingdom in our homes, in our minds, in our hearts, on our streets, in our workplaces, on earth as it is in heaven. And if that's where the interests of Jesus fall, then I think we could argue that everything that we find ourselves distracted by or pursuing that is not in line with those things is building another kingdom. And it doesn't mean it doesn't have its benefits. It doesn't mean you don't enjoy it for the moment, but it's a kingdom that doesn't last. You see, what Jesus is incredibly good at is helping us understand what is eternal and giving our lives today to what matters most. You see, there are only two things that last forever. And that's you and me. And so Jesus gives his life to intimacy with God, to know why he's here, who he's called him to be, his agenda for his life, decision-making, and then he gives his life to those in God's family and to those who are yet to step into that family. 
wherever you find yourself today, this is the access point into joy. Is we take honor, we marry it to the concerns of Jesus, and we begin to build others up. And Paul says this is already true of us because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the mind of Christ. He loved you like this. That when you weren't giving him a second thought, he gave his life for you, for me. To save us, to free us from sin, to make us right with God, to bring us into the family of God, and to fill us with the Spirit of God so we can live out the call of God on our lives. So if you're living in the whirlwind, if you're distracted with the good things or the bad things, if you're frustrated, if you're irritated, if you're depressed, a couple of things. Number one, a couple of next steps for you. Prioritize and fight for intimacy with Jesus. I, I found myself wrestling. I'm like, Jesus, this message seems too simple. Like, just honor one another and, and make your priorities our priorities. And it's simple because it's so challenging. Prioritize and fight for intimacy with Jesus. Friends, this is going to be the hardest thing for you to do this week. Honor flows naturally out of this place. I can guarantee you that it's the agenda of Jesus to honor others through you this week, if you let him. But we only have the mind of Christ when we sit down and we open the scriptures and we allow what's on his heart and mind to get on ours. And so we get quiet in the morning or the evening or on our lunch break. We recenter and we say, God, what's your agenda? And we read scripture and we let that truth and that reality speak over us. And then we take a journal and we write it down because we forget so easily. Or if you're like Danielle, she writes it on her arm so she can remember it the other day. I say, God, what's your agenda right now, today, in this moment, for me, for my life, for the next six months, for the next year, for my career, in school, in community? What's your agenda? Number two, the invitation to stay committed to this family and make honor a priority. Paul says, Timothy, Epaphroditus, these guys, they've got the concerns of Christ locked in. They're doing well. And Paul takes a moment to honor them in this letter. And I just want to call out of us again the need for honor in a day of content. There's probably way more that we could say over one another than we consistently take time for. And so my encouragement would be, let's listen. Holy Spirit, who do you want to honor this morning? How can I encourage and speak life over someone? And the last thing, is to live compelling and invitational lives. To continue to live in a way that when we honor others, we live lives of joy, that there's something different about following Jesus that, ge that genuinely is forming me and changing me to be more like him. That what I have, others should want. Not because I'm producing it myself, but because of what Jesus is doing in and through me. What he's doing through this community. And so that I can't help but share with others what Jesus is doing in me that we would live invitational lives. That's the concern. That's the interest of Jesus to work in and through you. So listen, the, the community tonight, the community night coming up next Wednesday, that is very simply a tool to empower you to live an invitational life. We rent out a local bar and tap room. Dogs are welcome. Drinks are on the house. And you invite everyone that you know to come and grab a drink with you 
on the house from City Church, and we build community, we get environments where there's no agenda other than to expose people to the love of God's family and community and identify God's agenda for that evening. That's it. And so I would encourage you, don't just make Wednesday a priority. You'll benefit from being there. It's a place of honor. It's a place of celebration. It's wonderful. Don't just plan on being there yourself. Bring someone with you. And before you show up, say, God, what's your agenda tonight? Who do you want me to talk to, to connect with, to encourage, to hear their story, to share my story with, and watch what God does when his family shows up with an intentional space of honor and missional living. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you have demonstrated for us what it means to truly love others, to look to the interest of others and not simply our own. Not, not because we're trying to curate something in us that's not really there, but because the access point into true joy is thinking of, our, of others before ourselves, of building others up rather than getting what I want, of choosing to be a servant leader in a space when everyone else is grabbing for attention in the highest role. Jesus, thank you that you didn't just demonstrate this life, but that you died for our sin. This brokenness, this contempt, the anger, the self-promotion, the selfishness, all of the brokenness that we experience internally and externally that damages our relationships with one another and separates us from you. Jesus, you willingly died for that. To see it forgiven and to see us brought back into relationship with you, to fill us with your love and empower us to love each other like you have loved us. May we not lose sight of that. This week, some of my friends in the room, they're following you and they're so busy and they're so distracted and their hearts and minds are so full that it's so challenging to be with you, to get quiet with you. Would you help them to find space this week? Would you give them power through your spirit and discipline and community to create space to be with you, to hear your voice, speak over their lives, reveal your agenda, and then give them the power to step into it? Some of my friends in the room are weary of community trying to discern what it is maybe, maybe that it means to be a part of family or a part of a church or to dive deeper. And I pray that you would move their hearts in the direction of community to be more like you and to find an opportunity to be formed, to be loved and be known and to love others and to know you more. And lastly, I pray right now for all of us in the room and the influence we represent in Boulder and the surrounding areas our family members, our workplace, our streets, our neighbors, co-workers, the people we run into at the coffee shop and the climbing gym, during our hobbies, all of those spaces, we are coming into contact with people that you love deeply and that you are longing to see step into a relationship with you. Would you fill our hearts and our minds this week with the ability to see and love others like you see them, to attribute the value in them that they carry, and to invite them into relationship with you? 
It's in Jesus' name. Amen.